Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tavner. For this conversation, we're looking at the book of Ruth, a short book, I think. And if I've looked at the contents page of my Bible correctly, Mike, very few books actually named after women. Yeah, that's right. So it does stand out both for its shortness and the fact that it is named after a woman. Only one other story like that, of course, in the Bible, the book of Esther. So those two things straight away just mark this little story out, a beautiful story, actually a love story, a really great story. And a love story that is a twinkle of light against an incredibly dark background. I was going to say, just remind us of when this is happening. When does this story happen? What's the setting, the context? The book itself helps us because its opening words are, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, and the story opens up. So in the days when the judges ruled. Now, we've looked at judges in a previous episode. These were those spirit-anointed leaders that God raised up to protect Israel at times when they were attacked by enemies. But we saw how those days were incredibly dark days indeed, spiritually and morally. It was a long period, period of about 325 years is covered in the book of Judges. But over that period, Israel increasingly abandoned obedience to the law of God that Joshua and Moses had sought to bring to them and were turning away from worshipping and following the living God to following the gods of the Canaanites, particularly the chief god Baal and his wife Asherah. And Baal worship was a fertility religion, a religion that encouraged sexual acts, ritual prostitution at the temples and shrines as a way of encouraging Baal and his wife in the heavens to have sex and so release fertility upon the earth. So a highly sexualized religion that increasingly attracted the Israelites. And so we saw how over this judge's period, Life didn't just go round and round in circles as they turned to these gods. God allowed attackers to come against them. They called out to God and said, oh, God, please rescue us. God graciously did by sending a judge, a spirit anointed leader to rescue them. They said, thank you, Lord. We'll love you and serve you forever until they saw another Baal and went after him. So round and round in circles, but also down and down a spiral in ever-increasing dark days so that by the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, the scene is dark indeed. Now, this book, Ruth, happens somewhere in that period of the Judges. We have no idea where. There's nothing to help us know whether it's at the beginning, middle or end of that story but it is an incredibly dark background against which we get this story of love and faithfulness and hope. And we see that God has not abandoned his people despite everything. So there are certainly some surprises along the way by the sound of it. So who are the characters involved in this story? 
Well, the main characters um, get killed off in Act 1, Scene 1. So, you know, if you're ever offered the part to play of uh, the guy and his two sons in this story, turn it down. (laughs) So the story opens with a man called Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, who have two sons. And they come from the town of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem actually means house of bread. But a famine comes upon the land. And there is no house. There is no bread in the house of bread. Why on earth was a famine coming upon the land? Well, it was because they had turned away from God. He had promised them way back in the book of Deuteronomy that if they were faithful to him, served him and him alone, then he would provide fruitfulness and blessing upon their land. And because they didn't, the natural consequence was that that blessing was withdrawn and famine came. So God's own people don't have crops, don't have food to eat. These were serious times. They were indeed. Yeah, I think we've probably all seen TV newsreels, haven't we, of how devastating famine can be, and that's exactly what they are facing here. And it is that devastating that Elimelech, with his wife Naomi, decides, and along with their two sons, that they are going to have to go to Moab, to another nation. Moab was to the east of the Dead Sea. And Moab was one of the traditional enemies of Israel. So you can imagine the guy having to swallow hard to go there, which again reflects the desperate state that they are in. And what sort of journey are we talking about? I mean, how far away is that? And and, and was that their only choice? Well, they presumably could have gone to other places, but they must have gone here because they knew that there was still food there. Odd, isn't it? There's no food among the people of God, but there is food among the enemies of the people of God. So, it, you know, it was a short journey from where they were in, in Bethlehem, a couple of days, three days, something like that. It's certainly not a huge journey because we don't know exactly where they settled. But because it's on the other side uh, and it was an area that was quite fertile as well, there is food there. So off they trek to uh, Moab. And while they are there, Elimelech, the husband, dies. So that's why I said if you're offered his part in a play ever, refuse it. You know, he only gets the first few minutes. So Naomi is now left as a widow with two sons. In a foreign land. In a foreign land. So she thinks, what am I going to have to do? Well, the first thing I need, I need to find a wife for each of my sons. And even though she's in a foreign land and it's Moabites and they're not supposed to marry outside, again, an expression of the desperate situation that they are in, she marries her two sons, Marlon and Kilion, off to Moabite women. Blow me what happens, but both Marlon and Kilion then die. So we are left with the widow, Naomi, with two daughters-in-law, who are Moabites with no support, no no state, no government to fall back on, no family to fall back on there. They're way back in the promised land. No husband, no sons. So here is the scene set with all of those no's, no husband, no son, no land, no support, 
absolutely desperate and desolate in this foreign land. And that sets the scene for the story that is about to follow. I'm also just trying to imagine the impact on Naomi, you know, the deep sadness, the way in which clearly she's going to be traumatised by that whole episode. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things we've said before is that, you know, one of the best ways to read the Bible is to try and put yourself into the story, to try and imagine what it would have been like to be there as these characters. So, yes, if we imagine ourselves as Naomi, we we just read it and she lost her husband and two sons. Come on, think of that. Those of the listeners who have lost loved ones, they the pain, the desolation that you feel, how much more so in a scenario where there are no friends around, no family around, no one, no no state to help support you. This woman is absolutely desolate. She's that desolate that as the story unfolds, she'll ask people even to rename her. Really, Naomi means pleasant. But what we find in chapter one of the story is that she hears that the Lord has come to the help of his people, it says in the promised land, food is back. So she decides to go back, understandably, with her two daughters-in-law. But on the way, says to them, here, hang on, what am I doing? I'm taking you back to my hometown. How can I provide for you? You know, I'm not going to be able to provide husbands for you. I haven't got the wherewithal for that. What on earth am I going to do? Do you know what? Frankly, the best thing that we could do is for you to go back. So on their journey home, as she tells them to go back, one of her daughters-in-law called Orpah says, do you know what? Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the right thing to do. But the other one, Ruth, the lady whom this book is named after, says, no, I'm not going to to go back. And there's this beautiful verse in verse one where she says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Aha, at this point, she's not only identified with Naomi, but with Naomi's people, with Naomi's God, if you like, this is her point of commitment to follow the God of Israel. And so while Orpah goes back, she's done the sensible thing. I mean, frankly, who could blame her? But, you know, sometimes the sensible thing in life isn't always the right thing in life. That's why it's so important we ask God for his guidance, even about what seems sensible. So she does the sensible thing and goes back. Ruth goes back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to the village of Bethlehem. And they arrive, aha, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Here is a sign of hope at the end of chapter one. I'm also conscious that in our culture, we suffer terribly from mother-in-law jokes. And here we have a situation where Ruth is from a completely different background, different culture. Naomi is a mother-in-law. But that bond that you've described, that that relationship, that commitment, that loyalty, that's amazing. It is. And, you know, mother-in-law jokes, I think, are peculiarly British. I once tried a mother-in-law joke when I was speaking at a meeting in Kenya. 
And one of the brothers there eventually said to me after the meeting, very, very graciously, he said, you know, here in Kenya, we really honour our mother-in-laws. And I learned a big lesson that day. So, yeah, we, we can make jokes about this, but here is an incredible bond. I mean, what a bond there to say, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. There was this deep bond of affection between the two. So chapter one ends with this sort of this mixture of, uh, of hope and despair because there is this incredible bond between them. The barley harvest is beginning, but Naomi still hasn't got over her loss and what lies ahead of her. And it's at this point that when everybody says, wow, it's, I think that's Naomi who's come back, isn't it? In fact, they actually say, can this be Naomi? Which perhaps suggests how life and its hardships had taken its toll on her and even how she looked. And it's at that point she says to them, listen, don't call me Naomi pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, bitter. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Bitterness has really got into her at this point. Let's just focus for a second on that sense of bitterness. Bitterness, it's a strong word. It is, isn't it? And the thing about bitterness is it always does more damage to us than to others. If something has happened in life and I end up feeling bitter that day, deep, profound sense of not only things have gone bad, but it is unfair and unjust. That's often a key in bitterness. This was unjust. And it gets deep in our spirit and our soul. But the only person that ever consumes is me. So if if you had offended me badly in some way, David, and I just think, that's it, that's it. I am never going to have anything more to do with that. David Tavner anymore and I have this bitterness inside and I can sit here thinking bitter thoughts to you and do you know what it doesn't do the least thing to you <laughs> you're not even aware of it the bitterness is destroying me and that's actually what happens in this story that you know Naomi doesn't change overnight her, her bitterness does drag on for a while and it's only as the story unfolds and she slowly sees, starts to see signs of hope that eventually she's able to let the bitterness go. But bitterness is one of the things that the New Testament will tell us is a, is a fruit of the flesh. And it tells us to get rid of all anger and bitterness and instead consciously choose. And it does come down to choice, not to feelings, it comes down to choice that I will forgive and I will let go. I'll forgive others. I'll forgive myself. Listen, I'll even forgive God. Sometimes some of us need to, quotes forgive God in our thinking because we felt he dealt us an unfair hand. Some of us feel we need to forgive ourselves because of something we did or didn't do and we've never been able to let go of it. And letting go of that and bringing it to God is the first step to breaking out of the bitterness, which, if we do not do, will most definitely consume us. So don't stew in your own juice, as they say. Exactly. So things are changing. Naomi is willing to change from what you're saying as she sees the situation changing as well. 
Yes, and the situation starts to change in chapter two. Now, remember, they are poor, they're impoverished, they've, they've got no means of support. So Ruth says to her mother-in-law, look, let me go and glean in the fields. Now, to glean was to pick up the bits of crop that had been left around the edges of the field. One of the laws in the books of the law that commanded Israel that when they did the harvest, they weren't to harvest to the very edges of their field. They weren't to be stingy and get every last corn. God said, do you know what? Leave some around the edges. Why? For the poor to come and collect. There's a tremendous emphasis on caring for the poor in God's word. And so Naomi allows Ruth to go back into the fields in Bethlehem to go and glean, to see if she can find some corn, some barley to bring back home and to make some bread for. And this Ruth, of course, is in a foreign land herself now because Naomi's back in her homeland. So Ruth essentially is a, a, well, an immigrant. She is an immigrant with all of what that conveys to us today. You know, those looks, those sneers, those comments that she would have to live with. And this incredibly brave woman. I mean, when listeners read this story of Ruth, just look how courageous and brave this woman is at times for some of the things that she will do out of love, not for herself, but for her mother-in-law. And so she goes off as this immigrant, as this outsider to glean. And it just happens. Oh, it just happens <laughs> to be that she ends up gleaning in the field that belongs to one of the family relatives, a man called Boaz. A coincidence? A, open inverted commas, coincidence, also known as a God-fixing-it moment. And we're going to see several of those. So from a human point of view, it was purely a coincidence. She had no idea. She'd never been here before. But I love it how, you know, I look back in my own life and the lives of others and see so many quotes, coincidences, where you thought, wow, God, I'm glad that you were at work there. And by then, this coincidence, she ends up in the field of Boaz, a relative who turns up later and spots this nice young pretty thing and says, oh, who's that? He says to a man, oh, and that's... Um, that's Ruth, who's who's come back with Naomi from Moab. And he says, well, you, you look after her. Make sure, don't interfere with her. You can hear what he's saying there. You know, as the immigrant, no nastiness towards her, please. And he makes sure that she is well provided for, so that by the end of chapter two, Ruth is able to go back to her mum with loads of grain from that day. And, and, and Ruth's able to say, where on earth did you get all that? She said, oh, I was working in a field of a man. I think he was called uh, Boaz. And suddenly the penny starts to drop. You know, in, in times of distress, in, in times of turmoil or warfare or things like that, families get broken up, connections get lost, people uh, forget or lose contact with family members. We know that still today. And it seems that Naomi had forgotten about this man, Boaz. Maybe she didn't know even that he was there. And she suddenly realizes that there is hope because there is a 
family member. And the whole point of a family member, if they're still a surviving member of the extended family, then he surely would be in a position to help her. So chapter two ends on a note of hope with this guy, Boaz. And so by chapter three, Naomi sends Ruth back to Boaz with, frankly, nothing short of a marriage proposal. She does it in a rather strange way to us. She says, now, what I want you to do, girl, is first of all, you know, smarten yourself up a bit, put your best frock on, put a bit of makeup on, and uh, I want you to go down to the threshing floor at the end of the evening where Boaz will be with his workers and wait till the end of the evening when they've had a meal and had a couple of drinks and he's, he's, he's feeling in a good mood and in good spirits and then he goes to lie down and when he does, I want you to lift up the corner of his blanket that's over him and lie down at his feet. Well, of course, in the middle of the night, Boaz turns over, feels, oh, what's that? The, oh, what's that? <laughs> and he wakes up to find this woman sleeping at the bottom of his bed. And he says, who are you? <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't know because it's dark. He can't see. And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me because you are a kinsman redeemer. Two things there. Spread the corner of your garment over me was simply a way of, of saying would you take me as your wife? Would you take me to your marriage bed in the way that I have come and slept at the bottom of your bed here? There's, there's no sense of anything inappropriate here, by the way. This was an acted parable to invite the guy to become her husband because you're my kinsman redeemer. Now, the kinsman redeemer was a technical term in Israel for the nearest surviving relative who had a legal responsibility to help any surviving family member who found themselves in difficulty. God's provision. It's God's provision again, and it was written in the law. Here's God's concern for the poor again. Now, we've already noticed that a twinkle has appeared in Boaz's eye when he's seen this young girl. Now here she is saying, would you take me as your wife and so fulfill your responsibilities? By the way, not to her, but to her mother-in-law. She's doing all this for the sake of her mother-in-law. And Boaz thinks all his Christmases have come at once. And he says, well, I'd love to do this, but there's actually another member of the family who's closer up the ladder, closer in the pecking order of the kinsman redeemer than I. So we're going to have to ask him first if he would like to marry you and take responsibility for you. So there's there's a bit of a, a waiting game, as it were. And I imagine, again, put yourself in everybody's position here of Boaz, who's got this chance of marrying this fine, good-looking young woman. By the way, it does look like he was a bit older because later in the story he'll say, bless you, you have not run after the younger men. Implication, he was a generation older. Mm. But now he's got to wait and see what will happen and whether this guy who's nearer in line will do it. And so chapter four takes us to that where Boaz has to go to this other kinsman redeemer and say, look, Naomi's come back and there's some land that needs redeeming. 
And I thought I should bring this to your attention because, you know, you're the nearer kinsman redeemer than I. And the minute he's mentioned land, the guy's ears prick up and they, oh, you know, I could extend my property. And he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And Boaz said, okay, that's fine. Oh, by the way, when you redeem the land from Naomi to help her get back on her feet, you'll also acquire responsibility for Naomi herself to provide her with children and to look after Ruth. And suddenly the guy thinks, ah, uh, well, in that case, maybe not. Too many commitments. Too many commitments, exactly. And so at this point, you know, put yourself in the story. Boaz breathes this huge sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. And he's done things properly as well. He's done things properly. Isn't that interesting? You know, when we do things properly, when we do things God's way, according to God's word, God has a way of making things work out well without our manipulation, without our trying to help him along. And so he's free now to marry this woman because he's now top of the pecking order. The other guy said, I don't want to be kinsman redeemer, the one who steps in to redeem and rescue you from this situation. And so it's a happy story because he is able to marry Ruth. He's able to have a child through Ruth and sit that child on Naomi's lap and say, here's your grandchild. And guess what? Although Ruth is an outsider, an immigrant, she will become one of the ancestors of the great King David. The story ends with a little short genealogy to show us how this woman who was an outsider, who didn't belong, who might have been looked down upon, was so brought into the very heart of the people of God, no longer an outsider, but right there at the centre to the point where one of her descendants would be the great King David, who would be such a key figure in Israel's history. This is a story of redemption and a redeemer God who's able to take messes and clean them up, who's able to bring outsiders and draw them in and make them part of his purposes. Yes, who would have thought the story would have ended there? I'm reflecting on that moment earlier in the story when Ruth was in the field gleaning and Boaz said to his men, don't take advantage, basically, And I'm thinking of Ruth and the welcome that clearly she got, even though she was, as you say, an outsider, a foreigner, an immigrant, she was welcomed. And how the welcome that we give people can have such an amazing impact on them. Absolutely. And and remember, this says a lot about Boaz and his character as well. Uh, The guy knows nothing of how this story is going to unfold. He's got nothing to gain out of this at this point, other than the kindness of welcoming a stranger, the kindness of welcoming an outsider. You know, it's so important that the New Testament actually says that in welcoming strangers and outsiders, you might find yourself entertaining an angel and not know it. That's how important having a big heart. So for those of us who are Christians, things like opening our homes, exercising hospitality, that could just be a cup of tea and a biscuit with someone being kind to strangers, being kind and welcoming and helping those whom society at large might look down upon, might despise. The Bible has so much to challenge God's people about having opening, welcoming hearts, being kind 
to the stranger, to the outsider, to those who are on the edge and margins of society. And Boaz sets a great example of that in welcoming Ruth to his fields before he has any inkling that he might get anything out of this at all. It is simply out of godliness and kindness that he does this. And I guess also from Ruth's point of view, you know, she had to trust him. She was being told to trust him, if you like, but she had to learn to trust him as well. Yes, exactly. And again, I think this shows us something of Ruth's character. In fact, reading this short book of four chapters, it doesn't take very long to read this story at all. 15 minutes, maybe? Yeah, I would imagine that. Um, But of course, it's good to read it a little more slowly and reflect on it. And as, as, as listeners do read it, I'd encourage them, put themselves into each of these characters. Read it maybe once, imagining your Naomi. See the change of the despair at the beginning when she loses her husband and two sons to the absolute joy at the end when this grandson is on her knee and she thanks God that God is the God who does not leave us with a kinsman, redeemer. Put yourself in Ruth's position of the outsider coming in, of Boaz as, as a man who has an opportunity to to live out the word of God in practice, even before he knows that he will get a thing out of it. It's a great character study book to read and full of richness, but full of richness, of course, behind it all about God. Because what this book does is not just tell us about a a human kinsman redeemer. It's pointing ahead to how one day God himself will send someone to be our kinsman redeemer, someone who can redeem us and rescue us from the mess that we've got our lives in, even though we don't deserve it. And that redeemer, of course, the New Testament will show us, will be his son, Jesus. Mike Bowman has been talking to David Taverner. Listen to more episodes anytime. Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation, This is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.